This podcast is sponsored by Traction Capital Partners, a private investment firm based out of Tacoma, Washington. Traction Capital focuses on acquiring businesses based in the Pacific Northwest that have between $1 and $5 million in earnings. For more information, please visit TractionCP.com. Hello and welcome, everyone. I'm Alex Bridgman, and this is Think Like an Owner. This show seeks out conversations with business owners and private investors to learn how to acquire and run companies with a special focus on micro-private equity and permanent capital. You can learn more at thinklikeowners.com. My guests on this episode are Louis Pangerella and Akram Sabah from Second Squared, an emerging search fund accelerator looking to bring the search fund model to Australia for the first time. The three of us discussed educating the marketplace, the mindsets of owners and investors in Australia compared to other countries, how they view themselves compared to counterparts in the US, and more. As they'll describe, Australia does not have an M&A market that is nearly as developed as the US, and a large part of their role is education. I learned a lot about the challenges with introducing search concepts and acquiring companies in Australia, and I hope you do as well and enjoy it. I've been looking forward to this. I remember chatting many, many months ago about search funds in Australia and how you were looking at it starting an accelerator and obviously you've made progress since then. So can you talk a little bit about from our phone call to now, what has been the evolution of your accelerator, Second Squared, and then what is that program looking like for Australia? Yeah, it's interesting. I think we first met, I think we first connected on the phone as we were going to the Harvard conference in 2018. Um, so it's probably 10 months ago now, um, either in the lead up to it or the, or straight after it. And, and one of the things that we, we learned is we probably shouldn't use the word accelerator because it means something very specific in, in the US that it doesn't so much mean in the States. Yeah, sorry, in the, in Australia. So in the US, you know, very clearly it means a, a sole source of capital as well as an enabling program to help the searcher. And quite often, the, and the searcher is captive to the accelerator. The model that we have in Australia is, is probably a little bit different. Yeah, we have some searchers that we work with to get them going and help them start their search, but we're not, but they're not, we're not a sole source of capital and they're not captive to us either. Probably a better way for us to describe what we're doing in Australia is is really spreading the message that search funds and entrepreneurship through acquisition, more importantly, so it's not only the search funds, but also for self-funded searches, you know, the importance that it has for Australia and how it can work in Australia, because Australia does have some interesting dynamics that really make it ripe for a, you know, an entrepreneur. So describe some of the activities that you're looking to do with searchers then. I guess it's where the term accelerator means something different to us in the sense of a searcher coming in with a concept of where they'd like to search or what kind of business they might like to look for. Um, in, in other jurisdictions, um, searchers generally come from an MBA program where uh, there is a program that's specifically helping them through this process of thinking through what they will search for. That doesn't exist anywhere in Australia. So in essence, um, Second Squared is about helping searchers from that very first point of conversation in their own mind around, hey, I, I think I'd like to, to buy a business and take it somewhere, but not really sure where that might be or what kind of business that might look like. Uh, so Second Squared's there to help them get, get clarity and accelerate the process of them 
understanding where they want to search and what kind of business they might be looking for, right through to helping them through the process of setting up, uh, acquiring uh, funds to start the search fund, uh, the process of working right through the, the search, uh, how to get support, where to get support from, right through to that point of finding the business, uh, closing the deal and, and becoming the operator, becoming the CEO. So a lot of that infrastructure isn't formalised anywhere, but what we're doing is we're building a network around each searcher that allows and enables them to get to where they want to go much faster. Um, in essence, if you if you looked at it uh, visually and you had the searcher in the centre of the universe, then what do we need to surround that searcher with to accelerate his or her process through um, that that couple of years of searching from inception through to completion and then on into operating the, the business? I think X raised a really interesting question around a point around which really goes back to the start. How does there's nowhere in Australia where a searcher can even become aware of search. Prior to 15 months ago when we decided to set up Second Squared, the, the only people who had started a search were and all self-funded were people who had become aware of it through an overseas MBA program. There's no university in Australia still that offers ETA or realising entrepreneurial potential or you know, training in, in what is a search or a search fund in Australia. And that's something that we've been trying, trying to change through engaging with universities you know, and hoping that they, and, and kind of educating them as well as some of the students on this is a really viable model in Australia. How are you imagining Second Squared from the business perspective? So the financial incentive for Second Squared to help these searchers. So where, where does that align with them? Yeah, in, in the long term, it's really clear what Second Squared becomes. It becomes a, a funder of search funds or a fund of funds, however you want to term it. In the short term, it's less clear. It's clear to us that what we need to do is find the searches. And that means almost evangelizing that entrepreneurship through acquisition is a viable model in Australia. And we do a lot of that. You know, we, we've run public workshops. We've got stuff into media. We engage with investors. We engage with universities. We also engage one-on-one with searchers. Um, so, so there is a, there is quite a community now of people, including the existing searchers in Australia, who when someone talks about, you know, what do I need to do to search in Australia? We, we all meet them and we, educate them on what it takes to, to search in Australia and why Australia is a good place to search. And what the differences are, you may want to take into account searching in Australia versus searching somewhere else. We do run programs. We don't do that full time. And so if someone is interested in becoming a searcher, but doesn't have a, you know, hasn't trained in it and wants to shortcut, in essence, their pathway to searching in Australia, we can help them with a, a workshop. You know, that gets them re- you know, a gets them ready to search, but also gives them the the base systems and processes they need in order to get searching in Australia, as well as introducing them to a group of I say qualified intermediaries, because intermediaries is one of the issues in Australia that we don't have the number and the quality that potentially exists elsewhere, and that's no disrespect to the intermediaries that are here. We just we don't have the same market for intermediaries here 
at a level where the acquisitions make sense, you know, that above $3 million in value range. By the same token, we also don't have the same competition for deals in that space. So there's a bit of it both ways. Do you think that's a factor of just the business, the attitude towards business and entrepreneurship in Australia just being different than that of the US? Fundamentally, that's very true. Uh, there, there are a number of number of factors at play. First of all, volume demographically. Australia is not as big as the US in any state. There's a difference just, just there in terms of sheer volume of opportunity. If you look at the sweet spot where a searcher might look at, we're talking about 85 to maybe 120,000 businesses across the country. So uh, it's it's not like there are millions of these things out there. I think the other piece is around that whole context of what, what does entrepreneurship mean. Um, and there's some things that are very deeply embedded in the Australian psyche, which are different to, say, the United States psyche of entrepreneurship. And, and some of those things include uh, probably a little bit of what we would call Aussie humility when when we were talking to entrepreneurs and we we call them entrepreneurs uh, they deny it they say I'm not an entrepreneur I'm I'm, I'm just somebody getting on with doing doing stuff um, uh, yet the term entrepreneur is is broadly understood in other jurisdictions as somebody who takes an organisation whether it be startup or non-startup and adds significant value to that and Lou and I work with a lot of entrepreneurs every day that just probably too shy to call themselves entrepreneur and part of the reason for that is that the context of entrepreneur in, in Australia tends to sit in that space of the startup the 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 the, the, the person with a, a new idea who's going to save the planet or a new app or a new fintech or medtech uh, that's out there looking for seed capital to start something up that's what entrepreneur means generically in Australia where we're, we're working on broadening that uh, conversation to anyone who's not just a business person but somebody who takes a business to the next level, somebody who's keen to put energy in and not just run a shop or run a business. They're there to, to grow, to scale, to scale, to, to do something more. Um, and so there's some of the, I guess, cultural differences that we have that we're working not so much against, but we're working towards educating and, and, and building a broader definition. Australia has lagged behind uh, the US by, you know, pick a number, but five to ten, you know, probably not more than five years on the venture capital side and the startup side. And it is very topical at the moment and has been for, for probably the last five years. So there's a lot of public policy or government policy around promoting startup and entrepreneurship as startups. So we're seeing more and more incubators starting every day, you know, more accelerators in that space starting every day. And that, to some extent, dominates the conversation around entrepreneurship here. What we see is the, the other side, which is the businesses that we've worked with probably the last, you know, for me, 10 years, and for ACT, 20 years, those great small to medium businesses that do need revitalisation yeah, and revitalisation through a new entrepreneur coming in and doing something quite different with them. That conversation isn't, isn't happening to the, ex, to the extent yet in Australia, although the, the generational transition issue is becoming well understood. I think, uh, Alex, what, uh, what Louise just mentioned is, is really important. First of all, uh, that transitional element of a generation of business owners who have uh, worked their business as well. They've grown it to a certain extent, but they're getting tired um, the, the average age of a, a business owner in the search fund 
uh, target area in Australia is probably between 65 to 67 years of age. Uh, so if they're not themselves feeling tired or exhausted or, uh, and if they indeed have, have the energy, what they're finding is that their next generation, their kids are not interested in coming into the business. Uh, and they might actually have a, um, a partner or, um, a better half, a, a wife or a spouse who, um, who's not well. Uh, or, or is aging, uh, not so well. So what happens is that there are life issues that take control, uh, that kind of force them into thinking about a succession point. Um, and so we, we deal with a lot of businesses where, um, succession is being forced upon as opposed to being strategically thought, fought through and, uh, and worked on in a, in a strategic and, um, I guess economically beneficial way for all concerned. So that's, that's one of those demographic pieces that we're seeing not only in Australia, but, but pretty much around the whole Western world. Is there an active uh, private equity market within Australia that tends to buy some of the, the larger ones and you're helping to kind of spur that same mentality for the smaller end? Or is there broadly a, a lack of young entrepreneurial buyers of these businesses? Right now, it's more the latter. Private equity crop is an interesting space in Australia, in Australia. We've, and we have a really interesting mix of both global PE players that are, that are here as well as Australian born and bred PE. If you go back to where most of them started, many of them started operating at this 10 to $30 million in enterprise value range. Um, and I can think of a couple who are based here in WA in West Australia that started in that space. What's happened though from afar has played out in America as well many years ago is the deal size that they chase has increased. So they've geared up to do bigger deals, which means they have to do bigger deals to justify the expense that they're going through to do those deals. And what's left is a lack of PE players that play in this sub $30 million space. There are some. They tend to want to do more growth capital than a full takeout, which doesn't really suit, you know, the, the owner who really does want to exit. PE in Australia, it's still a, it's a vibrant space. What you notice in Australia, if you look at transaction multiples though, there is a direct correlation between transaction size and the multiple. So at this below $30 million range, you know, you're still seeing transactions, you know, like at least in the last two years in the two to five range, two to five times EBITDA range. Whereas once they get above it, it's a much more competitive market and the PE firms will compete for it as well as others. And you're starting to see that four to eight. And, and then if you go again into the listed space, you know, they are very, you know, they're equivalent to what you'd see elsewhere in the world. In your end of the space then, what's your message to entrepreneurs? And when you go to the university to, to talk or you give these events, What's kind of your broad message to some of these entrepreneurs who you're encouraging to consider the space? There's, there's many, many key messages, uh, Alex. I think the broader one um, when we're talking to the entrepreneur is to be quite cheeky about it is that there's a third pathway to being the CEO. Uh, the first pathway is that, that pathway which is around um, earning your stripes in a corporate world and working up the corporate ladder to, to get to your achievement of, of wanting to be the leader, to be the CEO. The second one is to be the startup, uh, to be the CEO with a great idea. We, we talk about the third pathway being the CEO with no idea. 
tongue in cheek. It's the, it's the, I don't have that great idea that's going to change the world, but I do have a passion and an eye to go into a business and see the opportunity that's been left on the shelf and to take that opportunity to the next level. Uh, that's my passion. That's where I want to go. If you're that kind of person, if you're that kind of entrepreneur, then search is an absolutely hand in glove fit for you. In the very, in those first conversations with those university students and, and not in the university students, the, the university professors that we talk to, many of them are hearing about entrepreneurship through acquisition for the first time. And so we don't tend to use that term until we've had a conversation around where it fits you know, and who it's for. You know, it is for that talented entrepreneur who doesn't want to do a startup or may have already done a startup but doesn't want to do another one or has been in a corporate role and doesn't want to be in a corporate role again and also doesn't want to do a startup. Once we start that conversation and 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 then we get over the the definitional aspect in Australia of what an entrepreneur is, then we find the conversation evolves pretty quickly to uh, this is possibly something of interest here. And so what's been the reception so far from the people you've talked to about it? Interesting receptions. The initial reception is one of uh, doubt. Um, but once they start to understand the model and they start to see that it's actually a, a very viable alternative and has had a really fast global growth and footprint over the last 35 years, not only in the United States, but certainly through Europe um, and parts of Southeast Asia and you know, even South America and Africa, they start to see that there's, gee, there's something in this that could be really, really beneficial. And we're not only seeing that from the perspective of potential searchers, we're also having these conversations with uh, potential investors who initially, probably two years ago, would laugh us out of the office and, 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 and say, well, that's never going to work, to people now understanding that it's about backing the person and not the deal. It's a very simple conversation is, uh, well, if you, if you, if you backed a deal with the wrong leader, uh, how's that going to work out? Versus if you backed an average deal with a great leader, that's got a better chance of working out really well for you. Uh, so it's not actually about the deal because Louie and I see deals daily. We, we, we lose count of the deals that we see and, and most people in, 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 in the investment community probably would but when you find that talent which is special that's hard to come by but if you put that at the front and you say once you've found that once you've found that searcher that ceo of the future who who you think you'll back then persons like louie and i will find those people and we'll go we'll back this person we think this is the right person for for wherever they're going um then it's far easier to go and talk to uh, investors and other aspects of the community uh, with with that hand on heart, this is the right person uh, mentality than just going with a deal. So we're now getting investors coming back to us asking us, when are you going to show us somebody we can invest in? Um, which is a very different conversation to where's the next deal uh, that I can look at. Um, so it's it's nice to see. It's taken about two years, but we're starting to get that conversation shift from the deal to the person. It's cliche, but timing is everything. Um, some of the people that we spoke to 15 months ago are now likely to be searching next year. Yeah, but it's taken, it takes that long for them to come to that point where, because it, you know, literally hearing it for the first time and then 
doing all of their own internal machinations of, is this right for me, um, researching it themselves and then understanding it more and then coming back again. So I, I know there's three or four that between Ak and I we would have had five to seven conversations with before they say, yes, I think this is right for me. And one of the things that we set out to do right at the very beginning is not convince anyone. You know, we It's a bit counterintuitive, but people have to come to search of their own accord. They can't be convinced to do it. They'll either want the ownership, the CEO role, the risk and the reward that goes with that. You can't grant, you can't bestow that upon someone. So some of the people that we spoke to you know, 15 months ago, you know, we would have had three or four conversations and we would have thought, and there's a couple we thought would make excellent searches, but it's not for them. As in, they don't have the profile for themselves that they want to go and do that. They'd rather take a corporate role or in some cases do a startup, which is great. You know, they're living their dream. Without the, the university involvement, it's, it is reliant on just spreading the word. You know, once the universities come on board, we actually think Australia will change quite significantly because there will be, you know, a group of, a group of, say kids, but a group of people finding out about the model in a academic way and then being able to assess it as well. You know, and then two years down the track, they'll then come to it. And are there a few key universities you're trying to target specifically? Yep. And it's, a bit early to talk about them right now. You know, we're, it's a slow approach, you know, the, of building the relationship. We, we were with the university four days ago talking to them about their, their program and what it would take to add something to their program without it being, without it being specific to ETA, but just how long does a change to the, to a MBA program take? And we were, we were a bit shocked by the, the duration, but but 13 months if everything, if there are no revisions required, 13 months from go to work before you actually, that's to get it approved before you write the content, which is a bit of a, which we found a bit surprising, but it's understandable. So it's, that's just going to take time. But there's potentially some other things that we're working on with a couple of universities where it won't be to that extent. You know, the profile of ETA can be, can be lifted and people can see another pathway to being an entrepreneur. What goes into finding those those new relationships and trying to build them with schools and intermediaries as well? What are your steps to introduce the concept and then figuring out how they can be helpful in advancing that idea? How do you how do you go about doing that and building those relationships? The fundamental essence of it is relationships and building those relationships uh, and leveraging off the relationships you already have uh, that are strong. Um, and there's that old adage of relationship currency. And if you've built and built strong relationships over your, your career, uh, you've built currency where you can go and, and ask for, for a little bit of exchange on and a few um, uh, introductions where and when required. But uh, both Louis and I have worked hard on uh, our relationships, and I think part of that is the passion that we've got for search has has led the way. Uh, just even last night over dinner, somebody was asking me how things were going, and and uh, she was very quick to say, "Gosh, you're so passionate about this," uh, and and I think that passion really enables us to 
to express where we'd like to see it, where we'd like to see search in Australia head and what, what it could look like in a few years' time. Um, and, and that passion actually opens doors for us, I think. Um, we've, we've spoken to so many people and how we started it was we, we really sat in the space of if we were the searcher, who, who would we want uh, around us? And not in terms of individuals, but in terms of, um, thematics, in terms of intermediaries, what kind of intermediaries would we want to be working with? What kind of relationship would we want with them? What kind of, um, researchers would we want? What kind of accountants, lawyers? So we set up an, our own, in our minds, ecosystem of who are the kinds of people and organisations we'd want around us? And then we've gone out to those organisations and our contacts and networks within those those areas and just begun conversations. We've run a number of um, open public workshops uh, initially with our uh, our networks, our relationships to explain the model, just to start sharing. Uh, so initially we've seen the first 15 months of the business as being one of educating and, and sharing the concept with the market that we know. Uh, and it took about the first 12 months of working through our, our list, if you like, before their list started to contact us. Uh, and so now what we have is, is people contacting us who are interested in search who uh, we don't know where they've come from until you've gone and asked them and it's it's now second or third time removed to the source of our relationship that started 15 months ago. Uh, so the word is spreading slowly um, and it's probably spreading faster now than, than, than it was 15 months ago. But I, I can't understate the the importance of building those relationships and maintaining them over the time that we've, we've worked through. When I talk about the Australian community, I... I really think of it as the, at its core, the three searches that have consummated acquisitions, the one traditional fund that's been raised, you know, in addition to that, and two self-funded uh, partnerships that are currently going. And so what we have in that group of six search-style acquisitions, only one of those being traditional, is also a group that talks to each other and us well, quite frequently. You know, we don't talk to each other every day, I mean, and there's some that we're closer to than others, but when someone wants to know something about search, we generally know someone who we can have them talk to that's in their home state. Um, by the same token, if someone's thinking it has found them, they kind of get flipped our way. So that, so there is that collaboration, you know, amongst the community already. You know, on top of that, you know, there's, people who are starting to, to talk more broadly around search. And, you know, we adopted, you know, essentially the same process that a searcher does, which is we built a list of people that we wanted to know and that we wanted to build a relationship with, and we went out and built relationships with them. And not all of them are embedded yet, but quite a number of them have, you know, are now where we we do are comfortable to send them an email or pick up the phone and, and talk about searching and the, the community of searches. So it, it is an organic relationship build for us. Yes, we're active on social media and we're active on with our website. Um, and if someone Googles search funds in Australia or entrepreneurship through acquisition in Australia would probably be on the in the top three listings there. 
Very little's coming from that, though. A, a lot of the relationships we've built have come from outreach. I know you've gone to a few conferences in the U.S. What are your objectives when you're in the U.S.? Are you there to get advice on how to grow the search fund community? Are you looking for investors? Or are there a few others that I'm missing that you're looking to hopefully learn about while you're there? Um, Alex, it's all of the above and more. We initially went last year to immerse ourselves in the community and, and really understand what the, the culture and, and the community is about and to learn. Going back again this year, so last year we went to Harvard, this year we went to Stanford. The big pieces we learned was, was just the language around search is very different between Harvard and, and Stanford and, and what they mean by search is, is slightly different. There are nuances. Um, but more importantly, to, to immerse ourselves in the community and, and just uh, learn, A, through osmosis and secondly, through, through structured questioning and, and talking to, to people we, we were seeking out uh, about their experiences of search and, uh, and how they started up in their communities. So we've talked to a lot of investors. We're touched at the incredible uh, and we're very grateful for the incredible amount of time that they've invested in us and given us for no benefit to them uh, but for uh, sharing their experience so so it, the gratitude goes out to them for that in in, in droves uh, we've spoken to uh, many searchers uh, and learned about their journey we've spoken to a lot of academics in the different schools who who run ETA programs uh, and that's helped us understand and structure what what we're providing in Australia the other thing Alex which has been fascinating to talk to are people who who are now investors who are actually business owners who were bought out by searchers and listening to their stories with a very unique flavor of very very bright people who have built awesome businesses but didn't want to sell to VC and listening to their stories as to why and why did they sell to a searcher versus other options that they could have exited through. It's just been a fascinating learning curve for us because it, it allows us to come back to uh, to Australia and talk to a lot of business owners who might see a succession as a very black and white, very in or out kind of conversation, whereas the the rainbow of opportunities that sit in, in exiting uh, are not as clearly articulated here as they are in the US, uh, certainly after the conversations we've had. Um, so what we're finding is is we're able to put a lot more depth into our conversations purely by talking to the experience that people have had um, in, in, in the US and, and, and abroad. The bit that I'd add is the, this is still very new in Australia, you know, even though we've been going for pretty close to 15 months. And I'll come back to the evangelising piece, you know, talking to anyone that would listen around entrepreneurship through acquisition and many that wouldn't listen. And we say that that's what we knew we would have to do. We love the concept. We love the model. We think it, it has real merit here. Logically, it makes sense, but logic doesn't always prevail. So, so one of the questions we had last year going to the Harvard conference is just how did this model propagate through the world? Because it's, you know, it's a great idea. Um, but how does it actually go from something that was born at Harvard, popularized at Stanford to now being prevalent throughout the world um, and not so much in Australia. And and it was a it was interesting to hear the responses both from searchers and investors, also just interested community part, parties you know, that did propagate throughout the world primarily first by searchers going back to their own countries but being funded partly by US investors and local and local investors, which is to some extent the experience that started here. 
and then from that success or initial successes, having universities coming on board to embrace the program and then eventually local searches trained in in their country, raising funds eventually from local sources only, but but with potentially some offshore support. But we understand that, you know, the and that can be a five, six, seven-year journey. We just want it to happen in Australia sooner is the short version. So, you know, we would love to see that that whole journey just be done in a good way, you know, not rushing it, but have it kind of transpire and have the, the you know, there be 10 searches a year starting a fund in Australia. Because that's what we think Australia can support, you know, given what we know about the, the local demographics. Obviously, talked to lots of prospective searchers. What have your conversations been like with Australian business owners on the other side of that transaction? What has been their reception? So, Ak and I both are also coaches, business and executive coaches, and you know, generally we work with in the on the business in the business coaching side. And we we say business coach, but what we do is we work with the owner, and we've had owners go through exits, you know, and that's part of what. What we have both been involved in for many years with my with the existing owners that I work with, you know, and there's you know, a, a small a couple of handfuls. They're captivated by the idea. You know, they they don't see many of them don't see the large party that can take them out, that can give them their exit when they're ready. What they're captivated by is selling to an individual where the individual will protect their legacy and grow their legacy. You know, they, most of the owners that, that I've worked, that I work with today have a really strong focus on both their customers and their employees. And they just want to see the organization continue to provide value for both. When they're of that mindset, they love search. You know, they love the, the concept of an individual building a relationship with them. And, you know, taking their baby, their business, one of my clients talks about, it'll be when we do do a podcast at some point, he talks about this concept of his business being there at the birth of his baby. He was on the phone while his partner was in labour and he was on the phone because his business was demanding stuff from him. So he sees it as his, in fact, they both see it as their, their first child. You know, it was the first thing that they created together. It was the first thing that they grew up together, they don't want to hand that on to, to someone who that will take it and then take that identity and turn it into something else. They want to see that identity continue to, to, to thrive. I think it's ubiquitous in the sense that those kinds of owners also want to ensure that the family, that word is used deliberately, that they've built around their business uh, in terms of key staff, key people, even their suppliers and, and clients are, are still kept and looked after as the business grows beyond them. And I've had one, one case in particular where the, uh, there are two owners and one's 15 years older than the other and has exited earlier than the other. Wasn't keen to let go until he felt absolutely certain that the business was in the right hands. And, and that was a management buy-in. That was, uh, that was uh, managers buying into the business. But it took him a good three or four years before he felt very comfortable that they could take his baby and, uh, and and grow it up. And at that point in time, he he fully retired from the business. Um, so there's a real attachment at the level of business we're talking to to the business as something that's that's beyond just a P and L. What details do you usually explain to a a business owner about search fund transactions specifically? 
I think you've hit an interesting point, which is, and, and it's not just related to the lack of financial buyers in the in this size, you know, this sub thirty million size, but also the lack of the lack of intermediaries that are that can explain those concepts. The third part is um, Australian invest Australian investors and and the business owners are investors themselves. You know, are quite risk averse. You know, they're used to all, all cash transactions. Not saying that's all they'll do, but you know, the the major investment class in Australia is property, and property development is has been the mainstay. You know, outside of my, mining and mining services, property development has been the mainstay for, for most individual investors in Australia. Um, and there's been not just because it's low risk, it's also tax advantageous in Australia. So it has created a little bit of reluctance around some of the structuring that you see in the US, but it's changing because there is a developing awareness that there are other terms. So vendor notes, I've seen two in the last transactions that I've been involved in. Not not over the top, but but there has been there are you know, there is that ability to structure it. Australian business owners are notoriously reluctant on clawback clauses and and you know, as they should be in many ways, but it's it really just does depend on from my perspective whether you've built the relationship where you can actually understand what the owner is trying to achieve and why they want to get out and what that looks like for them and whether you can put something in its entirety as a package to them. It is possible to, to use vendor notes here and it's more than possible. It's, it's absolutely doable to use vendor notes here and other forms of structuring with the owner. One of the other differences between Australia and, and in particular the US is the banks aren't as friendly here from a lending perspective. And I know there'll be people in the US saying that banks aren't friendly in the US, but but compared to here, it's even less. Um, so we don't have, you know, for example, the SBA uh, guaranteed loan system here in Australia. We've got the thought around one, but it hasn't really been executed. Um, and it really looks like more the UK business growth fund, but it's not in operation yet. And there's still debate going on as to how that, how it will work. And if anything, it just looks like the bureaucracy will make it difficult to take advantage of. Is there an obstacle to getting more adoption of the search fund model in Australia that are particularly difficult or more difficult than maybe you expected? Uh, in a word, awareness. Yeah, that that's Australians by the very nature, I think, are actually quite entrepreneurial. And there's this interesting dichotomy in Australia where you have this huge focus on property investment. But at the same time, you have a, a huge prospecting culture, prospecting in terms of uh, mining and exploration. And it, and it is, in a different way, quite entrepreneurial. You know, the concept of digging a hole to see if there's, or drilling a hole to see if there's something that's worthwhile exploring down there and then coming up with nothing and then digging a hole 100 metres away and then doing that over and over and over again. While I'm not saying that those people are the best entrepreneurs, it, there is that understanding of risk and reward. There is that understanding of effort and doing what it takes to create value. What's still missing in Australia, even just 
despite heavy efforts that we've put in, is still the, the broad awareness that, the, that the, this is a viable model. Um, and, that, and that will come as the universities embrace the program in some way, shape or form. I think in addition to that, it, it's also going to come as the first line of searches start to acquire and build their businesses and that story starts to get out into the, the broader market. Um, again, you know, uh, Louis mentioned earlier that, that there are some people that we know who who will come to search in the next two to three years and purely that's a timing thing. So I think within the next three to five years we're going to see quite a, a, a an exciting growth in the search side of acquisition. Um, and then in maybe about five to six years' time we're going to start to see some of these businesses that have been acquired uh, looking very different to the way they are right now. And, and those stories will start to really promote some really exciting conversations in the Australian market. What are the next steps or the next few years look like for Second Squared specifically? Like in the next few months, what are you hoping to do? And then the next year and the year after, what does that look like for you? Well, it's, it's already starting to have its effect, Alex, at a very rudimentary level in the sense of uh, we've already run programs for uh, prospective uh, searches. Um, and as part of those programs, we, we get them to sit over dinner with current searchers or people who've searched and acquired. Um, and we start with a question and then just sit back and watch the rest of the evening. We eat while they talk um, over dinner. Um, and it's just fascinating to watch the, the conversation that, that does uh, ensue from that. And in essence, the searchers and now newly acquired business owners are... Um, are selling it without realising it. They're talking about the ups and downs and the pitfalls and, hey, it's not uh, it's not easy being an entrepreneur, it's not easy being a searcher, but, hey, here's, here's how I did it. Um, and in doing so, uh, what they're doing is they're actually selling the concept to the potential uh, searchers out there with warts and all because, you know, it's, it's not all pretty. There are a number of fronts, if you like, or a number of strategic uh, focal points for us. First of all is... Continue, continue to engage with the, uh, the university sector and to uh, develop programs in and around the university sector that can start to give airplay to search at that level, at the MBA level, at the, the graduate level and the undergraduate level as well. Um, so that, that's a key focal point. The other one is around working with prospective searches um, currently in our pipeline as well as ones we know that that will come into that pipeline over the next um, 12 to 18 months uh, and to help develop them. The third one is to continue a, a key focus on our um, investor base and the network, uh, I guess the ecosystem around the searcher, uh, to ensure that they're up to speed and uh, really clear as to where we're at in process. Um, and ultimately, we think that certainly by this time next year, we're... Uh, we're planning that there will be at least two or three searches um, that we've kicked off um, that we are invested in and they have a search fund that's out there looking actively for, for their acquisition. Um, and that, that's pretty much the next 12 months for us. Um, beyond that, Louis uh, spoke earlier about a fund of funds. You may, may want to talk a bit more about that, Louis. Um, but certainly within the next two to three years, we see that, that there'll be a, a fund of funds that, that, that Second Squared will be uh, managing on behalf of uh, a number of uh, investors uh, because we'll have a groundswell of potential searches 
coming through the funnel. Yeah, I think the only thing I'd add around the funder funds is part of the same reason that PE or financial buyers don't play in this space well is the effort it takes to do one transaction. Those same the investors that invest in those you know, financial sponsors have the same issue. You know, the the effort it takes to build relationships with a range of searches, and really what they want is portfolio, the portfolio of investments rather than you know one one investment in one searcher. So the fund of funds just gives them the ability to do that. Having said that, I think I think it's really important to kind of not to lose sight of who we are is. We still don't think we'll ever be a single source of capital for a searcher. Even with the fund to fund approach, we, we just see that being the Australian lead. And that's, you know, if we could do that, that allows the development of the searcher in many different ways. Firstly, it forces them to do the fundraise, which we actually think is a really critical part of their learning and development. And it actually, how they approach that says a lot about how they'll approach the task of finding and acquiring a business. You know, everyone that we've seen have to go through and have those investor conversations. How they approach it just change, allows you to see a lot more about how they will approach the entire task of searching and how they'll build their relationship with their investors. So we think we think that's still really important. It also allows them to get broader mentorship and advice from more than just us. You know, we we think that's another really strong, valuable piece to the model is matching not just funds, but just matching matching the the experience that you need. Before you continue, I want to make sure we I get a few of my typical closing questions in. But my first one is about you know what class would you teach in college? And the question seems a little redundant since I would imagine that class you'd be teaching is the same subject you're teaching right now, which is about searchers. But I could be wrong. What is there a topic that you'd be interested? In? What would you teach? The short version of the class that I would teach is culture doesn't make strategy for breakfast. Um, you need both. And you need both aligned. Um, and that would be the thing that I wish more people would focus on, the, the interrelationship between the two and how synergistic they are when they're together, not the sole focus on one or the other. Alex, for me, I'm, I'm really <clears throat> struggling with this question because there are so many areas I'd love to be able to, to, to play. And I guess, though, if I look at um, my background, it's always been around business growth and strategy. Um, and again, it's straddling the the commercial strategic piece around positioning, um, building a business commercially, as well as that cultural piece. And the really interesting piece around the culture and growth is how do you, a lot of, a lot of business owners ask me, ask us the questions, how do you maintain your culture as you grow? And really looking at, at questioning what is it that you want to maintain in your culture in that growth um, because as you grow fundamentally things have to change but but what are the what are the ground rules what are the the non-negotiables in that so to me it's again it's about that that cultural shift of growth and how that affects not only the owner of the business but the people in the business the clients the the entire ecosystem of that business um, there's some really really cool stuff that uh, I think uh, could be researched in that area is there a belief that you had early in your careers or perhaps in the early ideas of Second Square that you had a strong belief around that since you've kind of loosened up on or flip-flopped? I think it's like any anything. We have it, 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 It's really quite uh, bizarre that to get search 
into the Australian community and search being the context of non-startup, uh, we've had to do a startup. So Second Square is a startup to encourage people not to do a startup, um, in essence. And so, so we, we find that quite bizarre and interesting in, in itself. But in that, the piece around a, a belief that as startup people, we, in, in this business, we're pretty frantic and we, we're pretty passionate, thinking that we're going to change the world pretty quickly, like all startups. Um, and the same thing's happened uh, to us as many others, and that is that the world has its own speed. And certainly in, in the area we're working in, we'd like to be going much faster. And, and, and there's been a bit of belief shifting for us and awareness change for us. And we talk about, Louie and I talk about this a lot in the sense of uh, where we'd like it to be and where it actually is are two very different things. And so there's an expectation setting piece that we, we're constantly uh, holding each other to and going, okay, well, yep, we'd like it to have been there, but we're not there yet, um, which is the impatience of any startup, which is always quite fun to uh, review in your own minds when you step back from it. But when, when you're in it, it can be quite frustrating. At the end of the day, we, we have to take pace with where the world's going and how quickly it's moving in, in its mind shift around this. Acts absolutely right. The, I, I vowed two years ago I wouldn't do another startup. Here we are, two years, two years in, or 16 months into a, another startup. Very different from the previous ones. The balancing act and the flip flopping is not so much now around that. It's, we talk about this quite openly. Ak and I still run consulting practices. You know, we still do strategy consulting. You know, I still do uh, business exits. Act does growth consulting and coaching. We both coach small to medium businesses as well as executives um, around the country. And we love doing that work at the same time as we're trying to promote this thing called entrepreneurship through acquisition via Second Square. Um, and it's the, the juggle of that. It's the, the juggling of, you know, what could be and what, what currently are busy practices you know, the family aspects of what also the families that we both have and our other interests. You know, Ak is a, you know, involved in, heavily involved in the coaching fraternity across the Asia Pacific. I'm heavily involved in a number of not-for-profits um, as a board member. It's the, just the juggle. It's the juggling of the, of all of those aspects that I think we, we thought I will be able to keep this all good without doing too much, but but the reality is the effort that we've put, the effort that it's taken has been bigger, and we'll do it again in a heartbeat. At the same time, it's the managing of the energy flow, you know that that you have to. It's a it's that's ongoing work in progress. What's the best business that you've come across? Not necessarily one you've invested in, but it could be just any investment you've seen in article or heard from a friend. Or- for me, it's a business that I was on the buy side of for, for an existing client. Um, and we bought a, we essentially bought 15% of it. What made it so interesting is they built a, it was a tech, it was actually, it, it had been a startup, but they were looking for growth capital. It was a technology platform that had a mix of software and hardware. And the interesting thing was it had, a recurring revenue base where it was about 92% recurring and growing and built in Australia but global appeal. So it was 
the growth capital is going in to fund the, the next round of uh, geographic expansion. So it went from Australia to Singapore to London. It's now breaking into the US. Really interesting core business with amazing people in it. You, you couldn't take, as good as the platform is, you couldn't take those people out and the platform still continue. It had both bits. It had, they built this amazing soft, this amazing software thing and hardware thing. But the reason it worked was because it is two very interesting guys who saw a gap and completely transformed the way that that niche works. Louis and I see more than a handful of businesses every week, so it's it's hard to actually choose. But the one that, that, that immediately comes to mind for me is an old client of mine where that it was it was uh, two partners, a husband and wife, who were both scientists uh, and had left academia to start up a business and were really struggling. Um, but the area of science they worked in was very easily translatable to commercial business opportunity. Pretty much what, like Louis said, if, and, and, and what searches are really looking for as well is, is a, a business where there's a goodly portion of revenue that's, that's repeatable. And in the life sciences game, um, a lot of it is repeatable. A lot of it can be done time and time again because you're talking about the physical world and the physical world has a way of repeating itself. So this business, these scientists uh, set up a consulting house around a particular uh, life science issue and very quickly realised that they needed to get out of uh, the microscope reviewing and writing the reviews on, on the issue and building a team that did that so they could go and build the business. And the business grew uh, not only from a small two to three person business here in, in Perth, it grew nationally into a business that, that employed literally hundreds of people and the ability for it to go from a life science business as its core to this additional ancillary services that you could build around that specific initial consulting was really exciting. Um, and so we saw exponential growth in that business over a number of years because they, they leveraged the initial product into secondary, third, fourth, fifth products that just, and services that sat off that initial um, I guess request for services that that, that clients would ring for. Uh, so to me, that was a, a, an exciting way of looking at how a scientist could take their their profession and commercialize and monetize it in in many many different ways. Thank you for taking your time today. This was phenomenal. I really enjoyed chatting, and I'm really excited to see where uh, search goes within the next few years in Australia. This will be fun. Yeah, um, it's it's a wild ride, and we're we're really up for it, and enjoying. We've you know we've enjoyed every minute of it, and uh, we we know we're going to enjoy the next few years as well. It's going to be great. Yeah, it will be. We're excited by it too. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. For show notes and more information, please visit our website at thinklikeowners.com. dot